Luke chapter 20, starting with verse 19. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on Jesus at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that in all of our earthly dealings, we would be touched by the promises of heaven and that there would be nothing that we do here that isn't under your loving control and under your authority. We pray that we would live lives honorable to you so that when we stand before you on that last day, we not only will have that wonderful vision of Christ in his glory, but we'll also have, hear those words of him. Well done, good and faithful servant. You lived well. To that end, may this scripture bless us and may you use it through your Holy Spirit to change our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. How many of you have heard that phrase before? It's this really popular phrase. In fact, it's one of those that has kind of made its way into our, our culture, right? I mean, I've, I've heard this mentioned everywhere from, you know, a Fox News broadcast to a CNN anchor to financial seminars to presidential debates. Uh, you know, everyone seems to kind of use this, this phrase like putty, you know, render to Caesar. What is Caesar's? And usually we hear it mentioned in what kind of context? Politics, politics. You can imagine as, as a preacher, as a young preacher getting up, you know, feeling, oh no, Jesus is going to make me talk about politics today. And it's, I'll, I'll be honest, it's intimidating, but the word of God is powerful. And, and I'll, I, I endeavor to speak the word today. It's a popular verse. This is, it makes, it, it, it does make the top 10 um, most searched passages in the Bible. But what does it really mean? What does it mean to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's? And and by the way, to render unto God what is God's. What does it tell me when I'm approaching April 15? Happens to be my son's birthday. It also is tax day. What is Jesus saying here about God in government? Is he saying a lot? Is he saying a little? We, we hear this phrase and, and we just say, 
Well, what really does Jesus mean? It's important we've actually been asked this past year to consider many weighty considerations when it comes to government. I'd, I ask family members who are older than me, have you had to consider as much as today, as you have this past year, questions of the relationship of the church and government? And they said, nope, nope, this year has been really heavy with that. I've had to answer some really difficult questions. I've had to wade through some, some, some deep waters. And so as you're hearing that, if you're in those deep waters today, I, I want you to hear the words of Jesus, which will begin to work towards wonderful wisdom, freeing wisdom, as you consider these deep questions. And what I want you to see is Jesus does say something important about God and government. He does. But what we're ultimately going to see by the end of this sermon is this, that Jesus is saying something even more profound about you. It all begins with a crafty question. We're going to see a crafty question and then a profound answer that Jesus gives. But first, this question, verse 22. Along come the, the um, people who are sent by the scribes and the Pharisees. They're called spies, in fact. And the question is this. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Should we pay him our taxes or do we have an out? Sounds like an honest and innocent question. Um, you know, honestly, kind of sounds sugary sweet. Hey, Jesus, will you help us out? We just have this nagging question. Will you just help us today? But it's a trap. Don't be fooled. And Jesus isn't fooled one bit because remember what we've been seeing in the context of this passage. Last week, along come the, the anti-Jesus coalition, the anti-Jesus association, and they are this group of religious leaders that are bent on seeing this Messiah crucified. Jesus told us last week exactly why. They don't like his control over their lives. They want to run the vineyard of Israel how they want to run it. They don't want someone telling them what to do. Not this guy, not this Messiah. And it really is revealing they don't want God to have any charge of their lives. And so they've set this trap. And what I want you to see is this actually is a genius trap. They've come back to Jesus after he's shut down their first question and their second question. They've learned something. It's a tricky question. In fact, it's an explosive question. The kind of question that might send food flying at a Thanksgiving dinner with family because it's very, very political. Taxes were the hot button issue for the people of Israel who were under Roman control. And you can imagine why. You know, for people who you believe that they had freedom given them by God and a land that was bestowed on them as a gift of God to have overlords living um, you know, above them. And then they're told by those overlords to give their taxes all the time. That's heavy. And that's a weighty reminder that we're not living as free people. In fact, you know, we, we think that we complain about our own taxes. Israel, some historians estimate that at that time, 30 to 40% of their wages were taxed. 30 to 40% of their, um, uh, of, of their livelihood was taxed. And the worst 
the, the most frustrating tax of all was the annual poll tax. It wasn't the most hefty tax. It was like, you know, a $100 bill in our day. But it was what it, was, it represented that really bothered the Jews. Because the poll tax was paid through a denarius. You know, imagine you had a coin in front of you. You're looking at a denarius. If you saw it, um, what you'd see is that this poll tax was specifically designed to give tribute to Caesar and to say, oh yeah, he's our king. He's our emperor. If you looked at the front of the denarius, you would see this you know, impressive bust of Caesar and you know, looking as handsome as can be. And then it would say in an inscription, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. Flip it over on its backside and it says, Pontifex, Mac- Pontifex Maximus. High priest. See what it's claiming about Caesar? It's claiming this divine and all-controlling power of Caesar over their lives. And to the Jews, think about how frustrating and blasphemous that would be. To have to carry around coins and, and to give a tax of a coin that has this violation of the first and second commandment. You know, embedded right on it constant reminder that you're under the power of a pagan leader who claims for himself this prideful, godlike power would make you want to just do something about it, wouldn't, wouldn't it? It would simmer and, and stew over your frustration about these taxes in this poll tax. You'd want to take action. Well, in, in Jesus's day, there were people who wanted to take action. In fact, they were right on the edge of doing so. They were called the zealots, the zealots. And when Jesus was only three or four years old, there was an uprising against this very tax in which Judas the Galilean, he was a zealot. He was put to death, executed for leading a revolt against the government because of this tax. He said, we don't have to pay this. So so here comes this question, this crafty question. Hey, Jesus, you know that tax, the one everyone is stewing over? Do we have to pay it or not? You give us the answer, yes or no. You can see the bind that puts Jesus in. If he says, yeah, yeah, you you should pay that. Then he suddenly loses all the support of the people. His popularity is gone. And that's the one thing that is keeping um, him from being crucified and turned over to to, to the authorities because the Jewish leaders don't like him, but the people are standing in their way. But what if Jesus answers no? He says, no, you don't have to pay that blasphemous tax. Well, then in comes Rome and all, all that has to happen is the Jewish leaders tell Pilate, Pontius Pilate, that Jesus is telling people not to pay their taxes. And they crush him under the weight, calling him a rebel. So here's the trap that Jesus has before him. It's his popularity or his life. It's a political mousetrap set to finish off the Messiah. It's just another attempt of those tenants of the vineyard to murder the beloved son. But Jesus sees right through it. And look at what he said. He, he sees the craftiness of these leaders. Now, I want you to, to note this. There's only a few other places in scripture where someone is called crafty. Who is crafty above all? It is Satan. And that's really important for us to see here. 
Because what is Jesus saying? When, when these spies come and Jesus sees their craftiness and he sees through their flattery, he sees through their sweet talk, what's he saying? This is ultimately Satan. Satan trying to get Jesus nailed to a cross and trip him up. And you know what? Jesus is going to the cross. He's going to die for, for sinners like you and me, but he is not going to be tripped up by Satan. He's going to go there on his own accord. He's going to lay down his own life. He's going to do that for you and I. And so Jesus answers with this profound answer. You know, think about that answer. Jesus says, give me a denarius. They shuffle around. Someone pulls a denarius out of their pocket and gives it to Jesus. He holds it up, says, hey, whose picture is on this? That's Caesar. Then give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the thing, the things that are God's. Now let's look at this answer. It's like, it's like a coin, right? It's got two sides to it, we're going to see. And so first I want us to consider the first part of Jesus' profound answer. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now think about how this just suddenly you know, unsets a key part of the trap set for Jesus. He doesn't come at them and answer yes or no. He comes on this totally different plane and, and he approaches with his mastery over them. And what does he say? He says, be good citizens. Give to Caesar. Masterfully out, outmaneuvering these leaders. So here's the thing you need to see, that Jesus is no zealot. There was a popular novel that came out. I think it was maybe not a novel. It was it was it was a nonfiction book, and it came out years ago. And it was called Zealot. And the whole point of the book, if you've heard about it, was they said, "Oh, we understand who Jesus is. He was just this revolutionary who was crushed by the Roman Empire, you know, just like Judas of the Galilean was. You know, he he just he was this guy who wanted to take on the government, and he fell under its power." And I know a lot of friends and family who actually read that book and said, hey, this is pretty good. I think this might actually explain who Jesus was. No, no, it doesn't. Right here, Jesus says something that no zealot would ever say. He says that the government is legitimate. He says that even pagan systems of government are legitimate. That there's a kind of loyalty that the Jews owed to Caesar as their overlord, and there's a kind of you know, legitimacy that we, we can flesh this out right that we owe to our civil leaders, to our civil servants. What do we owe our civil leaders? Let me note three things that we, we, we ought to give to Caesar, we ought to give to our government. First, we owe our civil leaders respect. We owe our government respect. And as we hear Jesus speak these words, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, we have to say, well, what does the rest of the Bible teach about this? And, and the Bible fleshes this out. The Apostle Paul in Romans 13 and, and in other passages helps us to understand what it is that we rightfully ought to give to the government. 
So we give to them respect. How do we do that? Well, we show our governing authorities the dignity and the honor that is deserving of the weightiness of their their office in the way that we speak about them. And that includes on social media, right? No name calling. No dragging our, you know, our, the, it doesn't matter how frustrated we are with our governing officials because of the weightiness of their office and because of the dignity given to someone who has been tasked with leading people, even in earthly matters. We're not, we're given no leverage to, to, to drag someone through the mud with name calling or with shameful, disrespectful memes that just make fun of a person. We might see the unbelieving world doing that, friends, but I just, I wanna tell you, that should not be found among Christians. We shouldn't look on social media and see fellow believers talking about elected officials in a way that, that just says, wow, that person must be lower than dirt. That person must be less than human. We shouldn't, you know, when we're out at, at restaurants and talking to, you know, to our groups of friends, we shouldn't hear our Christian friends talking about elected officials in that way. Now, I want you to hear this. It doesn't mean that you can't call out corruption and bad policy. We must, in fact, do so in a way that upholds the dignity and honor in the office. If we're really going to dignify, you know, the office of governor, if we're really going to dignify the office of president, then when we see that office being abused, we need to speak about it and we need to speak out. But we need to do so in a way that upholds that dignity and honor of and weightiness of the office. And so I want you to hear uh, one of the things you might actually consider doing. One of the blessings of our government is you might actually run for office or support someone who could, who could bring greater dignity to an office. That's one way you could do it. But may it not be found among, among us that we are just speaking in disrespectful ways about our authorities. So we owe them our respect, but we also owe them our obedience. Romans 13 said this, 1 Peter 2, listen to 1 Peter 2. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. Now you say, well, wait a minute. Aren't there times that we're supposed to resist? Aren't there times that we ought to stand up? Yes. We're going to hear that by the end of the sermon. Yes, there are times when the government steps outside of its lane, steps outside of its aisle in a way in which we have to say, no, no. But look at the the main way that the Bible talks about our duty to governing authorities. What do we hear over and over and over again? It's... Look, seek to be submissive. Obey. Don't be a thorn in their flesh. That's the main picture that pops out and hits us. And so we should think twice before we, you know, we look at someone who's trying to follow the government and we label them, you know, we say that they're just a sheep. They're just a sheep. They're just following. You know, we ought to be, we ought to try as much as we can to obey. You will hear there are times that that obedience is indeed limited. 
But our primary impulse should be to try to obey and to be an obedient people. Well, what about taxes, right? We're supposed to give respect. We're supposed to give our obedience insofar as we can. And we're supposed to give our taxes. Romans 13, 7 says what? It says, give to all what is owed. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. And so here's what Jesus is doing when he says, hey, pull out that coin. Whose face is on it? It's Caesar's. Well, then guess what? You're playing Caesar's game. You're part of his system. You walk his roads. You benefit from his, you know, temporary system of government. Well, then give back to him what is owed to him in this civil sphere. Any taxes which fall into the government's lane of authority, we, we can pay those. And we ought to pay the full amount of them. Any that fall into their, their rightful authority, we, we ought to pay. In full. So you can see what Jesus is doing here. When he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, he, he's actually you know, springing that trap set for him. And he's saying, there is a legitimate place for the government under God's hand. And you ought to acknowledge that. And guess what? You really know that that's the case because you're the ones who are carrying around Caesar's coin. But then Jesus gives us the second part of this profound answer, and it is the punchline. This is really the weightiest part of the passage. What does he say? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. What do we owe Caesar? We owe Caesar some of our money, some of our obedience, some of our service, some of our respect. What do we owe God? Everything. Everything. All of our service, all of our respect, all of our money. It's all his anyways, right? Because guess what? We bear God's image. You look at the coin. Jesus said, whose image is on there? Oh, that's Caesar's image. Well, then give it back to him. But we are made in the image of God. Genesis 1:26. We walk around as living coins that ought to make their way every time back to God. We are God's coins made. We're designed to return honor to the one that we image. And guess what? That's true for us and that's true for Caesar. That's the crazy thing. Caesar said, I am Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. And Jesus, what does the answer say? Uh, No, no. You're God's servant, appointed for his task, under his hand, for a limited time and season. The same God who put you there can dethrone you. You're his coin. You pay his tax, Caesar. And that's, that's ultimately, ultimately what Jesus is saying, and he's saying to us. I want us to hear two things as we come to a close here. First, what does it mean to give to God what is God's? It means this. Give to God your ultimate allegiance. Your ultimate allegiance. Your ultimate loyalty stops with God every time. And this is what this means, that no human government should ever have your unqualified support. No politician should ever have your unqualified support. 
You know, Romans 13 talks about the typical ways that we owe our service to our government. But then you flip over to another 13th chapter, the 13th chapter of Revelation. Go to Revelation 13, and what will you see? That the same government that can be a good servant can also become this terrific idol, a beast that demands our love and affection and attention. You see that, don't you? Every time the government um, holds this, this, this uh, you know, attractive sway and power, you know, people say, oh, what I could do if I only had the leverage of the government. If I only had my guy in power, oh, what I could do. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And so you see this in the church, this constant desire for us to get our guy in. And not only that, but you know, we, we start swooning over earthly power as if that's our, our, our main hope. No, it's not. It's not. The government is not our savior. You know who needs to hear that? Both sides of the political aisle. Both sides. Any that would look to the government to accomplish what only God can accomplish, you know, bringing us true stability, bringing us lasting hope, bringing us peace on earth. The government can't do that. And we can talk about economic systems. I think the Bible does say something about economic systems. We could have that conversation. That's not this passage. This passage is telling you, Put your hope in God, your ultimate hope in God, not the, not the government. And so this is what this also means. If the government is our, um, is, if God is our ultimate allegiance, then whenever the government tells us to break the Ten Commandments, or whenever the government steps outside its lane set by God and tries to manage our church, then we have to say, with the apostles in Acts 5, we must obey God rather than man. We have to. Our ultimate loyalty lies with God. And so there are times, and, and friends, there will be more and more times in the future. There have been times, you know, some countries right now are claiming the divine right of Caesar, the same right that he said, even more. They're telling people, you cannot worship. You cannot preach the name of Christ. What do we say if we're told to do that? No, we have to preach Christ. No, we have to gather for worship. We're not, first and foremost, defying you. We're obeying God. So we owe God our ultimate allegiance. Even as, I want you to hear that, but I want you to know, we try to obey the government as much as we can. We want to be good citizens. We don't try to find easy outs. We don't knit and pick you know, when, when we can find our way out under, you know, under some legislation. But if it contradicts God's law, we have to stand with God. But then here's the second part, which might be harder for some of us. We give to God our ultimate allegiance. What does it also mean to give to God the things that are God? It means to give to God your ultimate submission. Your ultimate submission. And you know what that looks like? It can only be accomplished this way in saying, I am a sinner, I need a savior, and that savior is Jesus Christ. That's how we give God our ultimate submission. We turn away from our sins to the only one who can truly give us hope, to the one who led a revolution, not a worldly revolution, but a revolution against sin and death. 
He triumphed over Satan and over every worldly authority on the cross. Jesus did. When Satan tried to pin him to the cross, Jesus said no. But he said, I'm going to the cross and I'm going there willingly. Why? So I could give people true freedom. A freedom that no, that even, even freedoms in government can't equate. Freedom over sin and death. And so we give to God our ultimate submission. We give to the Son our ultimate submission. And I ask you, have you done that? Have you looked to Jesus Christ by faith? Have you called upon his name and said, I give everything to you? This is the thing that the religious leaders in Jesus' day wouldn't do. They wouldn't render to God what was God's. They'd pay Caesar's tax a hundred, a million times over before they would do that. But what about you? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But give to God what is God's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.